What's up, guys? It's Monday, February 22nd, 2021, and you're listening and or watching to FritzCast. Welcome to the show this week, and this week we have a great guest for you. We have Joshua Smith, host of Break the Cycle, candidate for uh, LNC chair uh, multiple times now. And, and coming up for the 2022 cycle. And me and Josh just, uh, we really hit it off, man. We, we talked about everything from uh, his background, his history, walking into libertarianism, all the problems with the Libertarian Party, the hate towards the Mises Caucus, and the biggest messaging failure of the Libertarian Party this past year. Uh, and and these are important conversations. It's an important discussion, and I just loved talking to Josh every minute. Loved every minute of it, and I know you guys are going to love it too. Uh, so without further ado, let's get to the program. <laughs> Joshua Smith, welcome to the FritzCast, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me on, Fritz. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. You're my favorite shit poster on Twitter. <laughs> I am the shit poster that your mother warned you about. Absolutely. Yeah, That's the shit poster. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, man. I just got I actually just finished a 12-hour shift about an hour ago, and uh, that was 120 hours I've worked in this pay period. So, Lord. Yeah, it was... It was uh, switching between days and nights so i've been really tired and i've done like five podcast interviews during that pay period too and it's like i'm like what huh oh, oh yeah, yeah you're asking a question i'm sorry yeah absolutely you know but um yeah i'm doing good man i'm i'm, I'm happy you know i got the family and the show and uh the, the libertarian party and the movement and uh it's been it's been really cool it's been a really interesting time so that's awesome and i can i can agree with you i don't do 12 hour shifts but i do midnight work and oh, yeah. that is just, you know, it can wreak havoc on it's brutal, man. Day to day stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. Crazy. You never you never get used to the overnight shift. And I don't you know, I know nurses who work overnight all the time. You just never get used to it. You're all you always feel like a zombie. You never get good enough sleep during the day. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. I'm glad that I'm not typically a night shift guy, but we got somebody that went out with COVID uh, and we had to cover all of his shifts. So I took a, I took four night shifts. I usually only work the day shift. So it was kind of kind of hard to cycle back and forth, but I made it work. And, and now my family will be rewarded with a wonderful paycheck you know so hey man i mean you know if there's one thing that we can't complain about during these covid times is if you're still working and getting a paycheck you don't have too much that you can complain about i don't think absolutely so uh let, let's let's start it off i mean you know I'm, I'm gonna ask you you know give me a little bit of joshua smith's history you don't have to go back to you know a little baby joshua smith but but no, you don't you want know. to know about little baby joshua he was a total poop factory that guy yeah. oh okay absolutely All right. Fair enough. But uh, let's go into a little bit of your background, uh, especially in, in your walk to libertarianism, because it seems everybody, you know, didn't start out as a libertarian. So let's let's go into that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I grew up religious and kind of neoconish. You know, I was uh, I was definitely a war hawk. And after 9-11, I joined the military uh, pretty much right after 9-11, um, attached to the USS Constellation. I was a big part. That ship was the biggest part of the shock and awe campaign. We were actually in the Persian Gulf doing a routine patrol uh, when George Bush declared war. <clears throat> so I got to see the war machine at first hand, 18 years old, 19 years old. And uh, I was I wasn't happy with it. You know, I was really, really jaded on the war machine. I, you know, we were dropping bombs in Baghdad and all I can think of is that there's kids that live here, you know, there's family pets and dreams and goals and aspirations and family cars. And it was, uh, it was really hard to deal with it's kind of coming to my, to terms with the fact that I was an anti-war advocate and I'm, I'm sitting here in war now, you know, I wasn't prior to the war, but the war definitely made me that way. And so when I got out of the military in 2005, um, I, I just didn't find a home in the Republicans anymore. You know, the Republicans still wanted war. Uh, the Democrats definitely support war because they're all big, big cronies with the uh, military industrial complex and um, the military contractors and stuff. <clears throat> and so uh, I kind of just fell away from politics a little bit until 2007 uh, when I was sitting in a bar and I saw a gentleman named Ron Paul speaking on the TV and um, I was like, who the hell is this guy? You know, wow, this guy's awesome. You know, he's talking about blowback and he's going at every, you know, when he, when he retired, he called Congress a bunch of psychopaths. I mean, this, this was my 
like dude you know so i was like well i'm still a registered libertarian uh, republican i didn't really know about the libertarian party at the time much you know i probably heard the name in passing but um so i worked on ron paul's campaign in 2008 in in oakland california i mean that's you know that's where i lived at the time and um i'm from there born and raised but i uh so I started working on this campaign. That's that was my first foray really into politics. Prior to that, I didn't know what my you know my my ass from the hole in the ground. I, you know, I obviously supported George Bush and his war until I went and fought in his war, and then realized that that those people weren't my people. But Ron Paul was great, so uh, that really opened my mind to this like libertarian thing. I didn't know to call it libertarianism at the time, but I started getting into to reading, you know, and I found Murray Rothbard and F. A. Hayek and Milton Friedman and. Um, then further down the line, got into like David Friedman. And, and I really just kind of took this segue into a, a, a open window that you can't close again. I mean, when you when you become that person, it's very hard to turn around and be like, oh, I was wrong. The state's actually a great thing. We should be at war. We should keep printing money out of thin air. You know, you can't you can't close that window. And so um, after watching the, the GOP just, I mean, absolutely screw over Ron Paul. I mean, like his name was Bernie Sanders, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, was done with the Republican party. I wasn't going to be a Republican anymore. And, um, I, 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 it's really up for debate how I learned about the Libertarian party. I, I contend that it was an Adam Kokesh video. Um, I, you know, I was watching him talk about the Libertarian party, but Adam swears up and down at that time, he was still in the Republican party. So it may not have been, it may be somebody else, but I joined the Libertarian party for the first time in 2010. Uh, and I, I basically gave my money to the party for about three months. I reached out to a bunch of people. I was this hyped up activist. I just worked on Ron Paul's campaign a, a year and a half prior. Um, I was ready to go and no one ever got a hold of me. Literally didn't have one person send me an email back from the emails that I had sent to the National Party. I think I had emailed the California State Party at the time. And I was this young, hyped up anti-war activist who was ready to do whatever it took to make this Libertarian Party a, you know, a fighting force against these two old parties that I now saw as, as the enemy. Um, and so I stopped donating and then I just kind of did my own thing for a while. I, you know, followed Ron Paul in 2012 again. And then, uh, sometime around 2014 or 15, uh, we, I, uh, me and a bunch of friends got together and we founded Think Liberty, which is a pretty successful publication now. Um, and, uh, and then in 2015, I joined the Libertarian Party again. I was, I was watching this run up to the presidential election and I'm going, there's no fucking way I'm going to deal with these two, you know, Trump and Hillary. No not going to happen, you know? And so I was like, I knew who Gary Johnson was from his 2012 run. I was like, well, I'll join the Libertarian Party, see what I can do there to help out again. And uh, this time I was living in Southern Washington. And so I went to the, the Washington State Libertarian Convention and it was in like a penthouse above someone's apartment, right? And I, and I showed up and uh, I had registered to become a member of the state party already. And uh, they're like, who here is from region five? I was like, oh, I think that's my region. I'm from region five. They're like, great. You're the regional representative for region five now, because there was nobody else from my region, you know? Wow. And so uh, this was my first like foray into actually working with like, like, you know, parties and how to like grow the party itself. And so I went back down to my region in Southern Washington and I started learning how to build affiliates and recruiting people for the party and recruiting uh, uh, candidates to run for office. And um, I learned a lot, man, you know, it was kind of this trial and error thing. I didn't really have a lot of help. Uh, in fact, the, the county party in that area, right after I became the region rep, the whole leadership for the county party stepped down. So I had to help rebuild that party. I had to go, uh, there was four other counties in my, in my affiliate that didn't have any, any, representation so i started building affiliates there we got a city councilman elected um it was, it was a cool time and then in 2016 after the election you know i had been this big nick sarwark fan and now i'm watching all of a sudden nick sarwark took this hard turn we started going after people like tom woods and started going after people like Dave smith and and eric july who i who i cherish i mean i love these people especially tom tom's one of the sweetest dudes you will ever meet i know he he sometimes brings out his sharp edged sword online uh to people who are, are condescending to him or, or talking a lot of shit to him but he's just the sweetest man i've ever met in my life and he teaches people about libertarianism on a daily uh, you know daily show that has more followers than the libertarian party has members and so when i started seeing him go after these really awesome people I, uh, I was like, no, that's not cool. So I started calling some big name libertarians. Hey man, uh, you got to run against this Nicholas Sarwar guy. He's got to go. And everyone was like, you're, you're crazy. You're crazy, man. You know, uh, he's the most popular chairman the party's ever had. And 
Um, so I just did it. <laughs> I just decided I was going to do it. I put out my intent to run statement and um, I didn't, you know, I didn't beat him obviously, but I did get a position on the board as an at-large representative. Um, I was the third highest vote getter in 2018 for that position. And there's five spots. And then I ran again in 2020 against Joe Bishop Henchman. And I got much closer. I was about a hundred votes away from actually winning chair. And I ended up being the second highest vote getter uh, uh, for at-large again. So I'm in my second term now as an at-large representative. And I did announce that I'm running for chair again uh, back in October, November. Um, so I am currently running for chair again. Um, and, and we'll see how it goes. You know, I think, I think we've, we've built a good following. We've built some great momentum and, um, it's been a hell of, it's been a hell of a road for me to get to where I am now, you know, traveling to 40 States, uh, having my family attacked by some of these shit heels in the party, uh, that have gone after my family and my personal life. And I, I put it all out on the line and I've worked my ass off and I've grown this party, uh, tremendously. And I hope that, uh, when we get to Reno, Nevada in 2022, the delegates will see that and give me the opportunity to do it from the, the biggest platform in the party. Wow. And there's a lot to unpack with that too. Uh, just, uh, just going in and out when you, like how you said, when you started off in the party, like uh, when you dived in, did you feel like that, like, like you said, you were reaching out, trying to communicate with people, but it just wasn't there. There was like no lines of communication. Did you just feel like this was something that you had to dive in and figure out yourself? Like there wasn't, it didn't seem like there was a helping hand around when you got No, in? not, not at all. And, and, you know, and, and to some extent that was still going on when I, when I rejoined the party in 2015, you know, I, it still didn't seem like there was, you know, there's a lot of people in this country that look at the libertarian party and go, the libertarian party's a joke and we can fight with them and argue with them, or we can understand why our processes have made them feel that way. And my first foray into the libertarian party that was my experience that this party was a joke. It didn't want hardworking activists. Uh, you know, it, it didn't care about our voices and it wasn't ever going to be anything. And so I understood where those people that are saying that are coming from. And it's one, you know, when I got involved in the party, that was one of the first things I wanted to change. I, I talked about how, if I became chair, we would work on new member packets. You know, as soon as a member joined the national party, we would send them out a packet with all their state information, how to get involved, what candidates they can help. You know, this very easy, simple thing that would cost us probably $5 per new membership that would immensely get people involved in, in the causes of, in, in their local areas. And so, um, you know, it was, just, it was just kind of like, I seen all these things that needed to be changed that, that these people think were a joke because of, and I wanted to change them. And that was another reason why I just kept on going up, up the ladder in this party and trying to work harder and finding more areas where we could improve, you know, but yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it, it was kind of, I felt very unsupported. I felt like they didn't want my, my, my membership. They didn't want my work. They didn't want my activism. And that was some, that's something that needs to change. And I, I think it's, I think it's getting a lot better now, even, you know, with leadership that I may not agree with, they're doing better at that now, but I've always put a huge emphasis on membership. I think the membership is the lifeblood of the party. They're what, um, I mean, they're literally what drives this party to success. And if, if we're not taking care of our members and not making them feel like they're part of the process, then the, why would they stay you know yeah yeah and that's well the interesting point to bring up here because when we talk about what dues paying members of libertarian party it's like what it's like twenty thousand, isn't it it's 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 like a yeah, really it's very number. small yeah i mean compared compared i mean you got to think the the national libertarian party is operating on less than 1.7 million dollars a year the the national republican party is in in terms of that is like over a hundred million dollars a year or 200 million you know what i mean it's like it's an insane amount it's a financial uh juggernauts that we have to that we have to compete with and if if we're not making our members feel welcome then we're not going to get those dollars you know and and it's it's going to continue to be more of the same we don't have the resources to to prop up federal candidates and so if we don't have the resources to prop up federal candidates we're never going to make a difference at the federal level uh we're just now starting to get to a place where we can make a difference at the state level we're getting state legislators elected finally we have two that were elected in the last election cycle first time since the 70s um you know we we are really doing well at the local and state level which i put a huge emphasis on you know and you can look to people like jeff hewitt from california who is an amazing star for the libertarian party he started out as running for city council then he became the mayor now he's the uh, riverside um um county supervisor he's he's one of the county supervisors there they have a, a population that's bigger than um five other states uh they have a a, a budget of like two billion dollars just for the county and he's able to do a bunch, lots of really cool libertarian things at that level and, and work with other uh, uh county supervisors and 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 learn how politics works in that area and so um you know i've put a big emphasis on local and, and state elections but local and county elections too because 
that's where we can win. Um, that's where we can show our, our, our constituency that we can make a difference in their lives locally. And that's when we'll start to make names for ourselves. So, you know, I think the Libertarian Party forgot about that for a long time. And the National Party just always sunk all their resources into one presidential election every four years and then kind of had to reel themselves back from that for the next four years. And um, I think that's another thing the party started working on, like the Frontier Project on state state issues, which has been wonderful. You know, that's that I mean, really, we can attest our our state legislator wins in Wyoming to the, the, the frontier project and the Paul Panzel and all the hard work that they've done, you know? Um, so hopefully we can, you know, get more members, get more money and drive that program and make that a much bigger program around the country and start going into States like Rhode Island, where they have less than a million people or North Dakota or South Dakota, where we can start, you know, taking some of these state led seats and, and making a big difference in the legislature. So. Yeah, obviously, I, obviously I can tell that, that you're of the same mindset that I am where, uh, where, Focusing things down on a local level is far more important than just popping up every four years and, and throwing out a candidate, whoever it may be, whether it's whether it's a Gary Johnson or a Joe Jorgensen, or as some people are trying to say now, let's let's get some kind of celebrity status person in there. Uh, I think the the local level is just more actionable. You know, it, it's something that people see. And then if they hear, you know, oh, who's that guy that's doing this thing, you know, at our local county level, they're like, oh, that, that dude's a libertarian. And, and it kind of like puts a spark in their brain where they're like, well, libertarian, what is that? And, and they want to look in more. And so at that point, they're reaching out to their state parties. For, from my understanding, depending on what state you're in, there's some states that have like these nice, big, strong, you know, communicative parties that are, you know, going out. They're trying to make that community impact and make that name for themselves, which is great. Uh, it's just that on a national scale, we don't have that buildup yet. Sure. Sure. And it's, that's the truth. You know, it's, we're going to win at the state level before we ever really win at the federal level. And we have to, we have to put some resources and focus on the state level or, or it's pointless for us to keep dropping money on these federal races and, and the presidential election. I mean, we need, we have to have a presidential election every four years. We have to have a candidate because it's what helps us keep ballot access in like something like 20 states. And a lot of people don't understand that is something that we're constantly fighting this ballot access Leviathan, right? I mean, it literally is the, the demon that the Libertarian Party has to face in every state state almost, you know, um, like states like Tennessee, where we literally cannot get on the ballot without an absurd amount of, of signatures. And it costs us, you know, it's, it's almost cost us more than it's even worth to run candidates as an libertarian in Tennessee. I mean, it's just this constant battle. We have all these things that are constantly working against us. And these policies are put in place by guess who the Republicans and the Democrats. Right. And so, um, yeah, man, it's, it's definitely, I think, I think we'll get there, but, uh, it's going to take some new leadership. It's one of the reasons why I'm running for chair. Um, it's one of the reasons why I push the Mises caucus so hard, because I think that they get, they understand what I'm saying and what is going to make us more successful. They understand that a libertarian party that focuses on winning smaller elections first is really going to be able to start taking bigger elections later. Um, and, and I think that they're, they're, they have the right blueprint and they've shown that, you know, they're with staunch, like unapologetic libertarian messaging. We can also grow the party, which is one of my biggest things. You know, I, I'm an unapologetic libertarian. I'm not going to say sorry for my libertarian views. I'm going to, and I, and I want a party that has focused principled messaging goals that mirror that, that unapologetic liber libertarian stance, because that's, what's going to bring libertarians to the party. And I've been the let's merge the libertarian movement and the libertarian party guy for the last five years. And so um, that's why I pushed the Mises caucus, because I know I know for a fact that they are the ones over the last four years that have grown this party immensely. I mean, from 13,000 members to over 20,000 members, I know that they were the biggest part of that. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen the data for it. Um, and I think that that's the direction we should be moving in. No, and I, I will agree to that before I go into my next little segment on the Mises caucus and kind of the inner workings of the Libertarian Party is that I've seen that firsthand in my home state of Delaware, uh, because there's about I think there's 20 of us that just in the last like three weeks have kind of come together as, you know, self-identified LP Mises caucus members in the state. And it seems like we're doing more 
organized, you know, things and pushing for things more than, than the, the party. state party has, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and that's, that's kind of crazy to me. Cause yeah. I'm like, it's just 20 of us. That's not but, the only state that that's happening in either, man. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of states where the, the Mises caucus is the state party at this point, you know, but you, you one of, one of the Mises caucus founders was living in Delaware when this, this thing started David Hines. So he was from a, he was a Del, Delaware state party guy. And then uh, you got Dave Casey there. Who's amazing. I love Dave Casey and, and uh, Dave versus Goliath. If you haven't seen his, he just put out a really cool show. He's an awesome, funny guy. He makes really good memes. Um, but yeah, Delaware, that's, it's, and that's true. I mean, the Mises caucus in Delaware, I mean, there's other state parties too. I'm not going to go out on a limb and start naming them all and making state parties mad at me, but there are some state parties where the Mises caucus is the state party or is outworking the state party at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so Next step that I want to go, though, is because it, it seems to be that this is like a big fighting point, on, you know, at least on on Twitter, social media, you see it a lot. This fight against the Mises caucus, this this shitting on Dave Smith, shitting on you, uh, Tom Woods and a bunch of others, too. That, and maybe it did stem back to Nick Sarwark. Maybe it goes deeper than that. I'm not sure. But what where's all the fighting coming from against you know, the Mises caucus. Well, it goes a lot deeper than, than Nick Sarwark. I mean, this, this started with the, with the Cato Mises split. I mean, years and years and years ago, uh, you know, Murray Rothbard and, and the Koch brothers, I mean, had this big falling out and split because Murray Rothbard was an unapologetic anarcho-capitalist libertarian, and he wasn't going to give up those principles for anybody. And the Kochs wanted to focus on, okay, well, we need to win elections. And so to win elections, we got to drop some principles here and there and there. And that's kind of where the Cato-Mises split happened at. And so when you see this fight inside the party with the pragmatists and the Mises caucus, those a lot of those pragmatist people, those are the Cato people. I mean, the Andy Craig's of this world, Andy Craig literally writes for Cato. You know what I mean? And, and goes out and attacks Dave Smith and goes out and attacks Tom Woods and calls them racists and neo-Nazis and neoconservatives. And, you know, they, he's had plenty of choice words to say about me too, but, you know, prove it. Just fucking prove it, man. Cause they can't, you know, it's this, it's, they have these, what, we, what a lot of people call them leftists, but it's just that they're using leftist tactics. Rep repeat this propaganda over and over and over again until everyone believes it. Um, but that's that that fight stems way back. I mean, pretty much before, really before the the founding of the Libertarian Party, but a, a little bit in the future as well. Um, and essentially, what happened is a lot of the Rothbardian kind of libertarians walked away from the party and just handed it over to Cato. You know, and that's when we kind of got away from that really principled, radical messaging, and we started getting more into the the Gary Johnson, uh, Bill Weld. Uh, you know, Bill Weld was yeah. a, a Raytheon lobbyist for crying out loud. Give me a break. You know, he's yeah. on the board, and it's and uh, and so uh, that's that split. You know, we they kind of walked away, and now what's happened? What you're seeing is is the Mises libertarians and the radical. Uh, libertarians and the radical anarcho-capitalists and the people who are unapologetically libertarian and refuse to let their principles down are now coming back to the party. And that really scares the Cato libertarians because they have had a lot, you know, or the, or the pragmatists or the beltway libertarians or whatever you want to call them. There's so many different names that, you know, are used, but um, they're terrified because in the, the, you know, two decades that they've or de over a decade now, two almost two decades that they've held the power in the party, they have not been effective. They just haven't been effective, you know, and they know that we're going to be able to just grow this party if we make it this principal thing, and they're going to lose their, their platform. Some of these people have become so um, used to having this big giant platform in this little tiny pond, you know, this, they're this really big fish because everybody in the party knows who they are, but nobody outside of the party knows who they are. You know, and and so if they grow, if we grow the party to a uh, county chair stealing money in in Clark County, Washington, right? He was he was embezzling money from the GOP. Nobody in the GOP knew about that because no one knew who he was. Because the party's so big, not everybody knows each other. But in the Libertarian Party, we know everybody. We know everybody from online. We know everybody from conventions. I mean, we know everybody. So they have this big platform, and they feel special. You know, but if you grow that plant, you grow that pond, the fish get smaller, right? And they don't want to lose that platform. They've been so comfortable, and and they're losing their platform. And they're, you know, we've got to a point now when they start throwing out these accusations and stuff at us, we just tell them to shut up. We just call them nerds, you know. And and it's and it and people are like, oh, you're acting terrible. I'm like, this guy's been calling me a Nazi for five years. This lady that I just said that to, uh, you know, reached out to my daughter and tried to bribe her with a phone to make a a bad 
uh, post about me on Facebook. This, this guy over here has been calling me a deadbeat dad and going after my mother. You know what I mean? Like they're nerds. And, and, and I, I don't give them credence in the arguments anymore. You know, I don't sit there and try to have these like, uh, you know, honest arguments with them anymore. Cause they're not honest people. They're not yeah. arguing from an honest place. And so um, I, I think the, the whole caucus and, and all these new people coming in the party have all kind of taken the same stance, you know, like go to your virtual locker, dude, we don't care anymore. Um, we're not worried about your accusations anymore. Uh, we have a mission. We have a goal. And that goal is to see a libertarian party. That's a fighting force against the, the Democrat, the Democrats and the Republicans. And in the words of Michael Heiss, um, if you're one of those people that are offended by words, we don't need you because we're going up against people that will napalm your children. We need soldiers, you know? And, and so, um, I think, I think that we've just kind of all just been fed up with it and we're done. Uh, playing their little let's let's have an honest dialogue conversation and we're like all right nerd get out of the way we're we're the biggest block in the party now and you know you're not going to stop us that that game's already been won and um you know it's going to piss some people off some people are going to get mad but i'm tired of watching my the party that i love be ineffective and i think that it's becoming more effective and i'm excited for it yeah no i'm and and that's something that you know i i i keep saying if, if you want to go on dave smith's program and 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 debate him uh because at the end of the day, I'll watch it because he's going to wreck you. you know? Oh, yeah. He like, breaks I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm going to watch it because he's going to wreck you. Because at the end of the day, you can't even like you can't even bring up a valid argument or a point uh, as to why you hate him and that, you know, this wing of the party. It's just it's just noise. And sure. I, I have mad respect for you guys for just kind of like brushing them off and, yeah. and, and saying it's a joke we're not going to deal with that. We're going to focus on, you know, real deal, serious stuff. So I appreciate you guys for that. Oh, thanks, man. Um, so on top of that, um, which by the way, I've been referring to the Mises caucus takeover. I've been referring to it as like a reclaiming of the libertarian. That's the way I see it. It's, it's, it's what, it, it's what it libertarians is. coming back, taking back what was ours and, and making it and moving forward with it because it's clear what's not going to work. Uh, and when I have these arguments with people who think a little bit differently, more of the Cato style, probably, as you were saying, you know, when they talk about, well, but you know, Gary Johnson, and we had 5 million votes almost. I'm like, yeah, it was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And that's all we could scrounge up. And it was on this platform of like, we're the best of both worlds. No, no, it doesn't work. And well, and I want to be, I want to be clear. It also didn't translate into new members. I mean, a lot of no. people joined, a lot of people joined the party in 2009 or 2016, but they mm -hmm. all left, you yep. know, there, there was only like something like 7% of the party is from the class of 2016. It didn't translate into party growth at all. The Jorgensen campaign translated into more party growth really than the, than the Johnson campaign did. And that's saying a lot because she only got like one and a half million votes, man. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, in moving, in moving away from the, the unpacking the 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 mess of a libertarian party, you have a show coming out. You're working I do. on a show right now. So, what let's let's go into a little bit of this. What is uh, what is break the cycle? So it's going to be a, a kind of a variety show. Obviously, it's going to have political undertones to it. I'm a political guy. I work in uh, electoral politics. Uh, I'm I'm staunch uh, believer in anarcho-capital philosophy. You know, I'm a big Murray Rothbard fan, uh, Mises fan, obviously. Um, so, but it's going to be a variety. I got a lot of really cool guests lined up. People like Monterey, Dave Smith, Michael Bolden. Um, oh God, just so many others. Freckled Liberty and, and uh, God, I, I, I have a long list. Um, Eric Brakey or uh, uh, Senator Brakey, who you're having on soon. Uh, I love I love that guy. He's one of my favorite state legislators around the country. I'm excited to talk with him. Um, but it's it's going to be a live show. I'm going to do it live uh, Wednesday evenings at 7:30 p.m. Central Time, and then Fridays. That'll be a solo show. There may be guest hosts here and there that are like not like, you know, big, big names, but like guest hosts. And then on Fridays, I'll be doing interview shows at the same time. Um, you know, I started doing this podcast over a year ago. You know, I started doing Break the Cycle as just an audio cast. Uh, I really wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I thought I had what it took to do a podcast. And I talked to a lot of people. I'm like, what equipment do I need? What do I got to buy? What can I get to make, you know, do this and that and this and that. And uh, everyone's like, dude, just do it. You know, just go for it. And so I started actually recording this audio podcast on my phone and I was doing like scripted audio podcasts and it would just, I did a couple episodes and I just wasn't happy with the direction. I'm not really a script kind of guy, but I was worried that I wasn't going to be good enough to do it without the script. 
And uh, so I put out like three or four, uh, four episodes. I did one interview show with Buck Johnson from um, uh, uh, Death to Tyrants, which was a really good show. He's now changed it to a new name. Uh, I can't remember what it is right now, but he's, he's amazing. Find Buck Johnson. He's one of my favorite guys. Um, and so uh, then life kind of happened. You know, I, I, I was traveling a lot for my campaign in 2020 and I met my girlfriend and then uh, we hit it off really good and she got pregnant. I ended up moving to Iowa. We had our baby December 31st. So we just were pregnant for nine months. Uh, I ended up getting custody of my 16 year old daughter and her two um, uh, younger siblings that are not mine biologically, but I was able to get custody of them. So they didn't go to foster care. Uh, my girlfriend already had two kids. We had the baby on the way. My daughter is pregnant. She's giving birth here any day now. Actually her doula goes on call tomorrow. Um, so life kind of happened. I didn't really have, I didn't really have the time to dedicate to a podcast that I really wanted. I wanted to have regular content. I wanted to do it right. Um, and, uh, and I just, you know, I, I decided I had been thinking about it for a long time. I wanted to do a video show. I wanted it to be video. I wanted to have really good video and good audio. And, uh, I knew that that was going to take me more than just using the webcam on my computer. So I started, you know, over the last year, I've been amassing equipment. I got, you know, lights and, and RGB lights, and I got, a. a a Canon M50 so that I could do 1080p and um, some really nice lenses so we can do wide angle with a nice aperture and a good mic and a good setup and all this stuff. Um, and then I started putting it together and realizing, you know, I got a stream deck so I can control my whole stream by touch buttons. And, um, and then I started working on the programming and I got all this stuff together. And when I finally hooked my M50 up to my old iMac, the processor was not fast enough to, to run a, yep. a live stream show. So now I have to get a whole new computer. And, and so I, my show is supposed to start on the 24th, this coming Wednesday, my computer's not here yet. Um, so I'm fingers crossed. Uh, if not, it'll probably get pushed out one more week, but, um, I finally got the equipment I wanted. I finally got the direction. I want to take the podcast. I know what I want break the cycle to be. I don't want it to just involve the libertarian party. I want it to be a show that everybody can come to normies can learn from libertarians can be entertained by, uh, anarcho capitalists can have a good time watching great names on the show. Uh, I'll have, you know, uh, picture in picture screen, like the new, like it'll be set up really nice right here on this great couch, uh, with these great lights with, with Papa Paul behind me. Um, I think, it, I think it'll be a good time. I think it's going to be a good show and I think it'll be successful. I, I've really put a lot of thought into it. I've really put a lot of time and I've invested a lot of money already into to doing it right. So I just hope that people like it. Um, we hit a thousand subscribers today on the, on the YouTube. That was really, really cool. I really appreciate it. I know you helped out there and some other people helped out too. Uh, all my shit posting friends on Twitter. I love you guys so much. I can't tell you how much you mean to me. My shit posting community, hashtag tower gang. Uh, they're really cool people. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be a good show. I think people will enjoy it. I think it'll be fun. And, and uh, hopefully I don't drone on and on and on like I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, no, it's just not droning on and on. And, and honestly, like I, you know, when I started off my show, I kind of did, you know, what you did, like, you know, you, you write out a little script, you try to follow it. And then you're just like, I can't, I can't do this. And, and you know, I found any way that once I ditched the scripts, people were like, Oh no, no, we like raining Fritz. Raining Fritz is great. It, it's better. It's real. Yeah. It's, it's raw. It's, it's organic. not, yeah. 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 It's organic. It's not this, you know, Hey, I'm a fake guy. I'm here, you know, to, to do my show and try to be the, you know, nah, it's whatever, you know, and it's cool. It's totally cool. And I like your setup and I'm really excited for your show to start oh, i really appreciate that man i'm excited for it to start too i'm, I'm a little i'll tell to be truth be told i'm scared as shit you know i'm i i i i went from this this audio podcast where no one could see me and it was scripted and i could edit it to uh you know what i'm gonna really put myself on a limb here and do this show live um i'm gonna deal with whatever technical difficulties come my way on the fly uh you know just i i just i really wanted to I wanted to make it something where I didn't have the opportunity to script anything anymore. It had to be, you know, I have a bullet point, I have an agenda and then I go. Um, I think I, I do better that way. And I learned that on my, on my campaigns for, for national chairman. You know, when I first, my first campaign, I went around the country with a, a speech wadded up in my pocket and I pull it out and put it on the podium and I'd read the speech, you know, and I'd watch the videos and I'd be, God, you sound like a robot. You know, I know yeah. I say that, I know I say, you know, a lot. I know I say, um, a lot, and, um, um, but you, you, those things are better than sounding like an absolute robot all the time, you know? Yeah. And so, so that's what I did. I, I, I ditched the speeches and, and in 2020, I went around, I didn't even carry a speech on the national convention stage. I just got up there. I debated, I did really, it was the best debate I'd ever done in my life, best speech I'd ever given in my life. And I just, I didn't script anything. I didn't even bullet point those things, you know? And, and so it was like, that kind of gave me the impression like, okay, you need to do this on the fly. You need to do this live and you need to you need to make it look good if, if you're gonna suck at least make it look good <laughs> you know right right 
and have right. good guests on. And so, yeah, I, I think it'll be good. And I, I think it'll be much better if you've heard my old audio uh, podcasts from over a year ago. It's going to be a much better show. It's going to be a much more real and raw show. It's going to have a lot more content and I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go out and, and, and attack the, the, the throat of a cowardice society because that's what I promised to do on my show. No, no. And it, I'm looking forward to it. That's bold. And I think, I think when it comes to the libertarian party, this is what we need. We need more passion, more bold, more striking. None of this, you know, Hey, let's happily negotiate some kind of like centrist point. No, no, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. It, it's not good for our ideals. Uh, it's not good for our principles. So forget it, you know, tell it like it is. Unapologetic libertarian, unapologetic, unapologetic libertarianism. So you're running for, for chair again. And I, I've now I've been able to say, I've interviewed you. I've interviewed Angela McArdle as well. And I don't know. I don't know if anybody else has announced. I don't think anybody else has announced for chair. No, just me and her. And we're both from the Mises caucus. So. Yeah, yeah. So, oh no, the takeover. Oh, oh God. It's a win-win really. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I love Angela. And the only thing I, the only thing I'm going to say about Angela is I love Angela. She's a great friend of mine. She's done really, I've worked very closely with her. She's always been wonderful. If she was to become chair of the national libertarian party, I'm going to be a very happy person. I'll tell you that much. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Uh, she's the right direction for the party. I think she'll do a wonderful job. Um, I just think that I have a little bit more national leadership experience than her. That's why, you know, that's why I'm running. And I also believe that uh, me winning would be uh, absolute fuck you to the people in this party that are absolutely vile after four years of them going after me and attacking me and my friends. So um, I kind of owe, I feel like I owe it to this party to become the, the national chairman. Um, but like I said, if she wins, uh, you know, I, I would love to work with her going forward in any capacity that I can, because she's, she's stellar. She's awesome. Yep. Yep. And, and we've talked about mild improvements now. How, how do you feel about, how do you feel about Joe Bishop Henchman and, and where, what he's done with his, you know, his little tenure that has been going on? I don't, I don't agree with him on much. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think he's a very good nuts and bolts accountant style kind of guy, you know? Um, yeah. And he knows, he knows legal stuff pretty well. Cause he's a lawyer, you know, he's a tax lawyer. Um, but as far as his messaging, it's not great. Uh, you know, he's kind of, he's that very radical centrist messaging. Um, and he, the, the one good thing that I will say about Joe is he's not an outward attacker like Nicholas Sarwark. He doesn't go out and try to yeah. stir up all this drama. Um, I just don't think the messaging is on point. Uh, I don't think that his, his goals are the same as mine. You know, mine's a, a radically larger membership, uh, more activists in the party, more people that are going to work on campaigns. His is more, uh, let's find only big donors. You know, we can't afford all these little donors. And um, so we, 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 we diverge on just about everything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I do appreciate that he's he's a very nice person. Um, he I think he's got a good heart. His he's not trying to tank everybody around him all the time. He's not super malicious. Um, him and his husband are both really really great guys, and I and I appreciate them both. They they actually um, uh, his husband crocheted a, a blanket um, for our son that was just born. And so his first baby blanket is Joe Bishop Pinchman's husband made it for us. And they're Ethan's a sweet guy. They're just sweet people. They're really nice people. Yeah. Joe's he's not a malicious person. So I, I really appreciate that about Joe that he's, you know, it, we don't agree on how he's running the party, but he's not going out and trying his hardest to, to fuck over the movement in any capacity. I, I don't agree with the fact that they ended the, um, the affiliate program. I think that I was kind of a, uh, an attack on the Mises caucus personally, but um, he still didn't go out and outwardly say like, fuck you guys, you know, you guys suck. And, and Tom Woods is a neo-confederate and, and, you know, he, he doesn't yeah, do that yeah. stuff. So I appreciate that about him very much. Yeah. That's, that's the way that I put it when, uh, when people were asking me about it, I said, well, at least it's not Nick Sarwark, but <laughs> how much, what, what is that really saying? I would have you taken know? three rotten potatoes in a, in a trench coat over Nick Sarwark for the leader oh, of the party. Man. That's for sure. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's sad to say, because yeah. I, I started off like you did respecting him at first. And then this just turn happened. And I was like, what the hell this, this isn't about you. It's not everything is about you. Man. The CIA is not sending their best Fritz. Oh, God. <laughs> so as we're moving forward as the Libertarian Party, what do you think? Um, what do you think are like, I'm not going to say like the top five, but what do you think like some of the, like a handful of the biggest issues that we need to be attacking right now are going on both federally and at a state level as well? Like big, we only, big three. we only really need to talk about one currently. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's the, the, the tyranny on a silver platter that we've been handed over the last year. 
you know, yeah. and, and it's, it sucks because we have a chairman that's been quiet about it during his entire tenure, but we've been locked in our, yeah, we've been locked in our fucking homes, man. We've been told we can't open our businesses. You know, we've been told that our children can't go to school. We've been told that we can't go to work. I mean, this is blatant tyranny and people will say it's in the name of public health. No, it's not. It was never about public health, you know, and uh, maybe, maybe at the very first when they stopped travel from China, like that was a public health thing. But the fact that we didn't give people the option to go to work and feed their fucking families. And we decided that we were going to instead try to give them 1200 bucks once every, I don't know, six months. Um, the, and the party stayed quiet about it. It just blows my mind. I mean, that was probably the biggest misstep this party has ever had since at least since the beginning of the Iraq war in, in 2003 or 2002, right? Uh, the, the second Iraq war, I don't know about the eighties, uh, in 1989, I was six. I don't really know what the libertarian party was doing back then, but, um, I do know that in 1988, Ron Paul ran for president in, in the libertarian party. So I'm sure they said something about it in 1989. Probably. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it was the biggest misstep the party's had. We had this, this shit handed to us on the silver platter and we got Democrats leaving the democratic party. We got Republicans leaving the Republican party because they watched their governors and their state legislators and their congressmen and their senators tell them that they weren't allowed to do what they needed to do to feed their families. And the libertarian party should have been the one anti lockdown, anti tyrannist tyrannistic party and we, we shut up and we were quiet and and you know i think that we had a chairman who was afraid to offend people in the party that might have supported this as a public health measure but i don't give a shit like the what we just went through for the last year um, and are still going through today in many states you know i'm lucky to live in iowa where they've lifted the mass mandate they've let, let our children go back to school uh they've lift they've let all the restaurants open back up and and guess what the cases aren't rising man you know um so I'm lucky to live in a state like that, but you know, these people are done with these two parties because they watched them not give a shit about their livelihood, their families. And what did we do to capitalize on that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and so going forward, we need to be the party that says, look, we're the only party that was against this stuff. We're the only party in this country because the greens aren't against it. The Republicans say they're against it, but then they vote in favor of all this bullshit. And the Democrats are literally the orchestrators, right? We got people like Governor uh, Whitmer and uh, um, J.B. Prisker and uh, uh, Cuomo and New Newsom. I mean, you can literally name the governors that have enforced this shit to a T and, and guarantee that there's a D next to their name. And you can see how fucked up their states are from it. You know, yeah. New York, they literally committed suicide in New York. You know, they killed seniors. They purposely sent COVID positive people into these nursing homes as somebody who worked in nursing homes for 10 plus years. It, it should be a crime what they did. He should be in prison. They should, he shouldn't be in Gitmo. He should be under Gitmo. You know what I mean? For what he's done. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Democrats are like making excuses for it. It's like, it's a third of the deaths in this country came from New York. Yeah, they're, they're, they're making excuses for it. The media uh, lauded him all throughout, and he even got to write a book and score money on the side for he won the, he won how an Emmy. great he did. He yeah. like won an Emmy or some shit. I'm like, what are you talking? This guy committed genocide. I mean, he literally killed seniors off to make Trump look bad. And it's now they're getting documents that are showing he knew what was going on. He continued to do it anyways. And, and he's not in jail. I yeah. mean, any one of us normal people would be in jail right now. Yeah, basically hid the numbers because he was afraid that it would help a federal investigation into it. Like shocking, shocking. saving your own ass. Yeah, look well, and bad. trying to make and trying to make Trump look bad. And you know, throughout all this, I'm not a Trump supporter. Anybody who knows me knows I'm not a Trump supporter. But you could blatantly see the Democratic states trying to ruin their own economies, trying yep. to yep. pump their numbers to make a president look bad that they hated. I mean, you can see it in real time because Christy Nome from North Dakota or South Dakota, South Dakota, yep. she didn't, they didn't shut down and their numbers are just fine. Florida. I mean, look, I'm not a Ron DeSantis guy, right? But there's some things that he did during this, this COVID crisis that, that made my heart swell, my Grinch heart swell three sizes bigger. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was absolutely beautiful the way he handled some of this shit and telling, I, I, you know, the rumor is he told Joe Biden to go fuck himself. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? I appreciate that because I believe in states' rights. I think that, you know, states should have their own autonomous shit and they shouldn't have to be told what to do by the federal government all the time. And especially in a time of crisis like this, you know, look at what happened with Texas just happened, you yeah. know, and, and I know when, a lot of you guys probably don't watch Alex Jones. I'm not a big Alex Jones guy either, but 
we not now know that due to an executive order that was signed by Trump that would have gave them extra power in Texas that was reversed by executive order the day that Joe Biden decided to say, uh, sign, I don't know, 30 or 40 executive orders in one day or one week, they weren't allowed to use the extra power that they had in that state. They were only allowed to try and borrow it from other states. And that was one of the biggest causes of their power shutdowns. It literally got people killed. You know what wow. I mean? And, and, and so, yeah, I don't know, man. There's, there's just a lot of stuff going on in this country that the Libertarian Party should be boastful and loud and proud about. We should be going after these shit heels. We should be going after these absolute tyrants in the media, in the public, in, in press releases, in our campaigns, whatever it takes. We should be going after these people and letting the people who support them know what they've done to them. Because a lot of people are just, I mean, a lot of people are just politically ignorant and don't understand what's going on. They just know that that's their team. Um, and so we had a really good opportunity over the last year. We dropped the ball. I wouldn't let that happen. Had I been the chair of this party, you can guarantee that if I become the chair of this party last July, it would have been a bit very different messaging coming from the national party during this, this crisis. No, yeah, and a lot of people are on the are on the same page with you with that. It's just baffling that there has not been not even not even a, an effort to criticize. <laughs> the critic the, 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 the big criticizing thing is that there was none. Our our amazing, wonderful secretary, Karen Ann Harlos, uh, she brought a motion forward to try and start a committee on messaging for the COVID crisis and uh, half that board shut her down, man. And I, I definitely voted in favor of it. I thought it was a great idea. I was like, let's craft some dope messaging, get out some awesome press releases. Let's say we're the party that supports you and your, your autonomous, uh, you know, life, your livelihood, your family. Um, we think that you should be able to support all that stuff and make your own decisions and your own healthcare decisions. And uh, it was shut down by half the board, man. And, and one of those people was the chair of the board. And so right. it would have been much different had I been the chair of this party, I promise. That's crazy. That's crazy. But I agree with you. That's probably the forefront issue that that should be focused on. I mean, you're right. There's there's a lot. There's a lot that you can unpack. But I think one of the most relatable ones is that one. Yeah. And for me, war is always going to be a big topic, you know, and I, I think that the party has been relatively quiet about the wars for a long time, too. Um, and, you know, had you had a very staunch anti-war chairman of this party uh going from 2018 and 2020 messaging on the war the warfare state in the military industrial complex would have been a lot different as well um and that's something that we need to change you know that's something that libertarians all over the country agree with the party on is the anti-war stance but they're they're not loud about it when you have podcasters that are louder about the anti-war stance like scott horton than a, a national political party that's supposed to be anti-war you have a fucking problem you know yeah. and so um, I, the messaging has just been bad. I've been the, the messaging candidate for a long time and I hope that I get that opportunity in 2022. Yeah. Hope, hopefully it does get better, whether it's you, Angela McArdle, you know, doesn't matter. It just needs to get better. Sure. Uh, so Josh, we've been going at it for a little bit now. Why don't you, uh, why don't we get ready to wrap things up? Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can find the new podcast and connect with you online? Sure. Absolutely. So find me on Twitter. That's where I, uh, that's where I go and troll the, the blue checks. It's a good time. Yeah. Uh, you can you can find me at, at Joshua at large uh, hashtag Tower Gang. Uh, if you ever want to watch us uh, pull out some really cool tower posts on uh, Blue Checks, that's the place to do it. We have a lot of fun on Twitter. I enjoy the platform. I still don't know how it's free. It's just too much to, fun to be free. Um, and you can find the show at www.youtube.com backslash Fight the Despots. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know how to spell despots, hopefully. Um, but that's where you're going to find that's where you're going to find the show at. Um, and that, like I said, that will be Wednesday evenings at 730 p.m. Central Time. So corn time. And then uh, Friday, same thing, 730 p.m. Uh, Central Time. And uh, we'll have really cool guests on. And hopefully we can get it started this week. If if there's a hiccup, it will be the following Wednesday for sure. But we're hoping the 24th will be the first live show. Yeah, I'm hoping that you get your computer. I'm hoping this doesn't come down to the wire. Yeah, if it goes one more, if it goes one more week, I'm just gonna have to put out a, a Twitter post and say, look, I'm really sorry, guys, but we're gonna have to wait one more week. There's nothing I can do about it. My processor now just won't run the 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 awesome video that I'm trying to give everybody. And I'm not gonna put out a shitty product on my very first podcast and be like, oh, it'll get better next week. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it right because I put a year into planning for this and I want it to be done right. So hopefully, hopefully it comes out and everybody's happy with it. And if it doesn't on Wednesday, it'll be the following week hopefully i don't lose half my youtube followers prior to that 
<laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, my heartfelt thanks for coming on the Fritzcast and, and having this conversation, man. I thought it was great. Yeah, absolutely. When I get to show up and running, man, we'll have to schedule you for an episode on, on uh, Break the Cycle. I am more than down for it. Sounds good, brother. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right, that was Joshua Smith on the Fritzcast. Get ready for a show, Break the Cycle. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully he has his computer by Wednesday. Hopefully he does, but I've seen delivery systems suck, you know, worse than anything this this year. You know, that's just the... That's the price of coronavirus times and all that. Uh, but hopefully we'll be sitting down by the end of this week and enjoying Break the Cycle with Joshua Smith and the plethora of guests that he's getting ready to have on and all that. And on a live program, no less either. That's not a knock at my program for not being alive, but but live, live, uh, because live is awesome. Uh, so be sure to visit Josh's links. Catch him on Twitter, especially on Twitter. Twitter is the stomping grounds of of liberty, if you know what I mean. This is where you know it's the well, it's the shit posting stomping grounds, but but it, it's fun nonetheless. Uh, so so check those out. And remember, you can check me out at FritzQS, uh, Facebook.com slash the Fritzcast for the Facebook page, uh, Fritzcast.webnode.com for the website and blog stuffs. And guys. As always, the one way that you can help me, the one thing that you can do that's easy as shit, down below there's a share button, there's a rate button, a review button, a thumbs up, there's something that, there's something below where I am if you're watching video, if you're listening to the podcast, whatever app you're in, there's a method in which that you can leave me a review. And that helps out the show tremendous, tremendously. People sharing the show brings in more audience tremendously doesn't cost a dime doesn't cost a dime and if it's content that you really love put it out there because you never know who you're going to tap into what they're going to hear and what could possibly bring people to the libertarian movement the liberty movement or at least starting to see bridges and relationships that they can build with people with this stuff which is very very important Uh, it's very important and it's very lacking right now and this is the time that we can build coalitions and friendships and really start planting the seeds of liberty in people's minds so let's do it let's do it let's just stop talking about it let's do it do it push the share button if you're not subscribed subscribe it's there there's a button do it do it don't don't think about it just do it just do it guys it's going to do it for me for this week Next week, uh, we either have Brian Nichols or a solo episode. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen yet. Uh, But remember, I love you, and I'll see you next time.